Good morning. Is everybody excited about the weather today? 80 and sunny with no rain. Oh, we're very excited about that at our house because uh, we're, we're a little tired of the rain and the cold. Hopefully the, uh, the weather is going to continue uh, to improve. Um, this morning, we are concluding our sermon series, which we've titled Lessons of the Good Samaritan. The Lessons of the Good Samaritan answers of extremely important question that was placed to Jesus. That question is, and who is my neighbor? This question is posed to Jesus by a lawyer who is attempting to determine whether or not he has done everything that he needs to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus, of course, confirms to him that eternal life means loving God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. And the lawyer asks, and who is my neighbor? This is his follow-up question. He asks this question, it says in Luke chapter 10, verse 29, to justify himself, meaning he wanted to make absolutely certain that he understood all of the parameters of Jesus' requirements about eternal life. I want to make sure I'm doing everything you tell me to do, Jesus. We know he's a lawyer. He's looking to make sure that he's tying up all of the loopholes. He doesn't want anything to work against him as he tries to gain this eternal life. And Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with everything that you are. And the neighbor, and the uh, lawyer, sorry, wants to know, am I loving my neighbor? the way that you're telling me that I should love my neighbor. In this question, Jesus tells a story. And most people know this story is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we've talked about this parable. Uh, and we're going to read that story one more time this morning. It's found in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 30. And the lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And two weeks ago, we talked about priest and Levite. We talked about these uh, religious men who were traveling down this same road. And for legitimately religious reasons, we saw that maybe, yeah, they probably wouldn't stop to help this man. Either they were going to not have the ability to do their job anymore in the case of the priest. They were going to be inconvenienced in the case of the Levite because of this uncleanness that they would bring upon themselves if they touched a dead body. And then we meet Samaritan. 
And Samaritan is walking down this same dangerous, treacherous road as man. The same road as the robbers who left this man for dead. The same road that priest and Levite were walking down. And Jesus' point here is that we are all walking the same road. We are all of us heading towards a destination. And that destination is the road of life. And we see that all of these different people, the bad people, the good people, the apathetic people, the religious people, all of these people, we're all traveling on this same road. And Jesus says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And a few weeks ago, we talked about who the Samaritan was, and we talked about the fact that the Samaritan was hated by the Jews. And Jesus' audience would have known this. Jesus' audience would have heard the word Samaritan, and immediately their minds would have gone to thoughts of hate for these people. Are there people that when you hear their names mentioned or their race or their country of origin, that suddenly it triggers negative thoughts in your mind? Maybe even thoughts of hate? This is what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is, is purposely putting the most hated person into this story for the people that he's telling the story to. And not only is Jesus putting this person into the story, he is describing him as good. He's describing him as compassionate. Jesus says this man had compassion on the man who was lying on the side of the road. And that's different from what we read about the priest and the Levite, right? Priest and the Levite didn't really have compassion. They didn't really think about who this person was or what was happening to him. They were thinking about themselves. They were thinking about what they needed to get to next. They were thinking about the way that they needed to uh, appear so that they could continue living the lives that they were living. We might call them heartless. We might call them loveless. They certainly weren't loving their neighbor. Samaritan had compassion. And this might be a good time to talk about really what compassion is. And we hear that word all the time. We have compassion on people. We care about people. And we've all heard this term compassion before. And compassion, if we break down the word, compassion is actually two words that combine. The first word is a Latin word, com, C-O-M. C-O-M means together or with. And the word that follows that is passion. And historically, the word passion literally describes the death of Jesus Christ and the suffering of Jesus Christ. And as history has gone on, we take it to mean the suffering of anyone. And so we put these two words together 
calm, and passion. And it means that we share in the affliction or the suffering of another person. And we have a desire to alleviate that suffering. It's not enough just to care. Oh, isn't that a shame? Oh, isn't that horrible that they're going through those things? It's that we have a desire to help alleviate that suffering. We have a desire to work with those people, to help those people who maybe at that point in their lives can't help themselves. And we have that desire to alleviate their suffering. We feel their pain. How many of you have ever felt someone's pain before? And a lot of times we have no idea what to do. And of course, the very first thing that we go to is, I'll pray for you. Not that that's a bad thing. I'll pray for you is a wonderful thing if you're going to actually pray for them. If you just say you're going to pray for them and then go along your day and forget about praying for them, it really is just useless words that you're saying. Wendy and I have taken to, uh, when we're traveling, especially if we're traveling like the highway and we hear an ambulance go by or, hear, or see ambulance lights or anything like that, or we see an accident on the side of the road, we just say a quick prayer for the people that are there. We can't do anything ourselves, most likely. Stopping might even worsen the situation. But we'll pray for them. And of course, saying that we'll pray for somebody. Is a, is a good thing to do, and praying for them, asking God to help alleviate their suffering, put the right people into their lives to help alleviate that suffering is a good thing to do. But if we have the ability to act, if we have the ability to do something that alleviates that suffering, that also is a part of compassion. Jesus is said to have acted with compassion throughout the Gospels. And if we look at the story of the Samaritan and we look at what Jesus did throughout his ministry, there are a lot of parallels. Let me take a look at verses 33 and 34 a little more closely. It's Samaritan as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And the very first thing he did after he saw him and after Compassion took hold as he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So first, Samaritan saw man and it caused him to have compassion because he could see the desperate situation that man was in. He saw the blood. He saw his broken body laying on the ground and he approached him which is not what the priest and the Levite did. He actually walked up to him and noticed, yes, he is still alive. He is still breathing. I have to do something. And he did. He started binding up his wounds. Samaritan saw man. He saw someone whose life needed saving. And when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, in the Garden of Eden, they found themselves in a desperate situation. They found themselves spiritually dead. They found themselves in need of someone to save them, 
spiritually, to save their spiritual lives. And when Samaritan saw that the man was in desperate need of care, he went to him. And in Luke chapter 19, Jesus talks about the same thing. He talks about what he did for his people. He's eating at the home of Zacchaeus. Most of us know the story of little Zacchaeus who climbed a tree, and then Jesus called him down and had lunch with him that day. Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector in the area. He was the most hated man in the area because he spent his life, his entire existence, robbing and cheating people in the name of the law. And Jesus went to his house, and people looked at Jesus and said, why are you eating with this person? Don't you know who he is? But while Jesus was eating with him, Jesus was also saving him. Jesus showed him compassion, and Jesus showed him where his spiritual life was dead, and Zacchaeus repented. Zacchaeus said, Everything that I have done wrong, I'm going to make right. And I'm going to make it right fourfold. Anybody who I've cheated, I'm giving them four times the amount of money that I cheated them out of. I am going to do this because I love God. And listen to what Jesus says after Zacchaeus made this proclamation. Jesus in Luke chapter 19 verse 10 said, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And Zacchaeus was lost. And now he is found. Jesus Christ, who was responsible for all creation, saw the brokenness of humanity in the Garden of Eden, and he went to us so that our lives might be saved. Just like Samaritan went to the man because his life needed saving. And when he went to the man, the first thing he did is he bound up his wounds. He poured in oil and wine. He met the immediate need of the man that was laying there. The man needed medical attention. He was going to bleed out. He was going to die without some sort of care. And he used oil and wine. Oil and wine were used for a lot of things in biblical times. Oil was used in religious ceremonies. Oil was used for cooking and lighting lamps. But it was also used for soothing the skin and soothing injuries. And you would pour on oil, say if you got a cut or something, and you would pour on oil. And what that would do is that it would soften the skin around the cut to make it easier to heal. Wine was used, well, for drinking. But wine was also used as a disinfectant. So when this man poured on oil and wine, he was making sure that the wound wasn't going to get any worse by pouring on the wine. He was disinfecting that wound. He was cleaning it out, making sure that it wouldn't get worse. And then he was pouring on the oil to soften that area, to soothe it, to make it feel less painful. Samaritan was quite literally healing this man. 
And throughout the Gospels, we read how Jesus had compassion on people. And he would go to different towns, and he would be traveling along different roads, and he would see people, and he would have compassion on them. And one of the very first things that it says that Jesus did is that he said, or the Bible says that he healed their sick. He healed people with infirmities. He healed people who were possessed with devils. Jesus had compassion. He saw the immediate need of these people. He saw, their, he saw their souls too, and he saw that they needed saving. But Jesus saw their physical needs, and he healed those first. This man, laying in the care of the Samaritan, was being healed. And after he did all of this, he bound up the wounds, he wrapped them up, he poured the oil and wine, all of these things. Then he picked this man up. We don't even know if the man was fully conscious at this point. But he picked this man up and put him on his own animal. Draped him across the back of whatever animal he was using, maybe a donkey, maybe a camel. We don't know but he draped him across and he started heading towards an inn. This meant that the Samaritan had to walk. You're not going to put two people on an animal like that, especially on a treacherous road like this road to Jericho. So the Samaritan had to walk. He had to give up his comfort. He had to give up his own ride in order to care for man. Jesus left the comfort of heaven. Jesus left all of his power as the Son of God in order to save us. Paul tells in Philippians that Jesus emptied himself of his godness and came to earth and he lived in a human body and he experienced all of the things that we experience. He experienced joy and laughter. He experienced hunger and thirst and pain, tiredness. Anybody tired this morning? It's two weeks before the end of school, man. I am tired. The kids aren't tired. The kids are hyper. I'm tired of dealing with the kids is what it is. Jesus experienced tiredness. A couple of times we see and we read where Jesus like falls asleep someplace. Jesus fell asleep on the back of a boat. And all of a sudden this huge storm came and the boat was just about ready to tip over and the disciples were all going crazy. Jesus, help us! Why aren't you doing something? And Jesus wakes up, probably still tired, and he goes to the side of the boat and he says, be still. I wish it was that easy in school. <laughs> Jesus stopped the storm. And really, if, 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 I, if I put Jesus in, in the kind of situation in my head when I'm tired, it was probably, be still! Going back to bed. But that's what Jesus did. He experienced all these things. And ultimately, Jesus experienced the pain and the suffering, the beatings 
and the floggings, the crucifixion and death. Jesus became this animal of the Samaritan carrying the whole burden of our sin on him so that we might find forgiveness. After Samaritan loads the man onto his animal, he takes him to an inn. And it's possible that this was like a wayside inn kind of along the way, but we're not quite sure. It's more probable that he had to travel all the way to Jericho in order to get to this inn. But whichever way, Samaritan and man eventually arrive at the inn. And Jesus says that Samaritan took care of him. Samaritan stayed with him overnight. Cared for his wounds, made sure that he was taken care of. And we know this because in verse 35 it says the next day he took out two denarii. That means that he stayed overnight. He didn't just drop this guy off and say, all right, I hope everything works out for you. See you later. He stayed with him. That's what compassion does. It causes us to feel the other person's pain. A lot of times what compassion does is it makes us remember our own pain and our own wish that someone would have taken care of us in that time. And that's what Samaritan did. He stayed overnight. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend I will repay when I come back. It's possible that the innkeeper knew the Samaritan. It's possible that he was a regular customer. Because he's saying, hey, when I come back, you'll know who I am. I'll give you more money. It's possible that he's not, but it seems reasonable that he knew the innkeeper. So he gives us these denarii. A denarius, and we read in Matthew chapter 20, verse 2, a denarius was a day's wages. So you would go and you would work uh, and you would receive a, a small coin, a denarius. And this was for unskilled laborers. This was for uh, military foot soldiers, the lowest of the foot soldiers. They would get paid in denarius. And Samaritan knew that the man still needed to be cared for. And he took out two days' wages and handed them to the innkeeper. He had to go. He had to go on to his business, but he wanted to make sure that this guy was still going to be taken care of. And he handed this money over to the innkeeper. He trusted the innkeeper to take care of the man, not to spend the money on himself or to keep the money for himself. But he gave over this money. He put somebody else in charge of this man's care. But he also said, I'm coming back. I'm going to check in on you. If you need anything more, I'll give it to you. After Jesus died and rose again, he knew he was only going to be around for a short time before he ascended into heaven. 
And in John chapter 14, Jesus talks to his disciples. He talks about leaving them. He talks about going away. But he promises to ask the Father to give them another helper. And in John 14, 25 to 26, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all I have said to you. As Jesus tells this story of the Good Samaritan, we see this last parallel. Jesus who came to us, who healed the sick physically, and who healed us spiritually through his death and his resurrection, has gone to the Father. But he has left resources to continue to help us to fully spiritually heal. And that resource is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, when we are saved, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, when we say, I repent of my sins, I make Jesus my Lord and my Savior, the Holy Spirit immediately enters us. Immediately dwells within us. And is our teacher. Is our comforter is our guide to spiritual health. Because it's not just that we get saved. After we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we've got a lifetime of discipleship ahead of us. And we need help. How many of you have tried to do it on your own and you have found that it's not really that great? How many of you have felt the help of the Holy Spirit in times when you were despondent, in times when you were feeling spiritually weak, maybe even spiritually dead, and you felt the Holy Spirit comforting you and teaching you and reminding you of whose you are? That is what Jesus Christ has done for us. The Holy Spirit dwells with us until we die and we stand in the presence of God the Father and God the Son. Jesus finishes this story of the man, the robbers, the priest, the Levite, the Samaritan, the innkeeper, and he asks the lawyer a question. Remember, this whole story started with a question. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus ends up asking the lawyer, a question. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Which of these people, priest, Levite, Samaritan? The lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. You notice that the lawyer can't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan? He still has that hatred in his heart for those people. But he does acknowledge that it was the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, 
you go and do likewise. The one who showed him mercy. Mercy is another word for compassion. It's kindness done for someone in need. And it doesn't matter to the Samaritan who the man was. He didn't walk up to the man and try to figure out whether or not he needed help, whether or not he deserved help. He just saw the need. And it brought him compassion. He saw a fellow human being, someone else who was created in the image of God. And he saw that he was suffering saw that he needed care and his compassion compelled him to act to do something he didn't bother counting the cost of his action oil and wine yes they could be expensive in those days he didn't count the cost of the oil and the wine he didn't count the cost of the bandages he didn't count the cost of staying at the inn he didn't count the cost after he left the inn and left him in the care of the innkeeper he didn't hesitate to use everything that he had to make sure that this man's suffering was alleviated. Samaritan wasn't concerned about being inconvenienced. He wasn't worried about not being able to get home for dinner. He wasn't worried about not being able to get to work. He wasn't worried about not being able to do whatever it was that he was on his way to do. And we don't know what he was on his way to do. And it didn't matter. He saw the need. He knew he could help. He had the resources to help this man. And he stopped. And he made sure that this man was cared for until he was able to continue living his life. Samaritan put his whole life on hold for a stranger. He put his whole life on hold, not expecting anything in return, not expecting any kind of attention, not expecting any kind of accolades, not expecting anything. He put his life on hold because he hoped that if the situation was reversed, someone would do the same for him. Jesus says, go and do likewise. And I love that. Go. Do. That's what Jesus tells his church. That's what Jesus tells his people, his disciples, those who are authentically living a life for Lord Jesus. Go and do. And so many Christians have decided to come and sit. They have decided that coming to church for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning is enough. Let somebody else do all of that other thing. Here, I'll write you a check. You go and do it. That's not what we're called to do. Yes, writing a check is fine. Helping to support other ministries is fine. But we are called to get off our butts and walk out this door and do. 
And if this story is any indication, we don't have to look for people who are in need. We will encounter them every single day. We will encounter them whether we are looking for them or not. And it is up to us to use the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to us. Whatever they may be, you might be a farmer, you might be a lawyer, you might be a teacher, you might be a nurse, you might be a, an accountant, or somebody that just sits in an office all day. But you have a talent you have an ability. You have something that has been given to you by the Holy Spirit. And it has been given to you to help alleviate the suffering of other people. Church is where we train to use our gifts. But we can't stay in school forever. Eventually, we've got to get out that door and we've got to start using the things that the Spirit has given us and using the teachings that we have received. And we have to do. Last week, our Rooted in Christ youth, they got up and they led our worship. And it was glorious. It was phenomenal to me to see these young people who were hungry to serve their church. And I heard from Becky, man, this, this was not something that they were pulled kicking and screaming into. These teens wanted to minister to you and to me. And I understand that they're looking now for some opportunities to go out, not only into our community, but to go out and do missions. And I'm really excited about that possibility and that opportunity. And it's going to take some of our resources to help them do that. One of the ideas that I've heard about is that they want to go to the Navajo Nation and teach and take care of their children, the adults there who maybe need training to get better jobs. They want to do those things, and I am so excited to hear about that. Are you hungry? Are you hungry to help other people? Does looking at someone in need cause you to react with compassion? Does it cause you to look at that person or those people and say, I've got to help. I've got to. We sometimes think, oh, well, we're just a really small church. How much can we possibly do? And I'm going to tell you, a lot. Jesus Christ himself looked at his disciples and said, where two or three are gathered in your name, there I am in the midst of them. And we are 50 or 60 or 70. What kind of power will the Holy Spirit give us to alleviate needs? 
We've got people in this county who have physical needs. They are hungry. They are thirsty. They are naked. They are homeless. They are jobless. They are desperate. We've got people with real emotional and mental needs. They don't know how to cope with their lives. They're confused about who they are. They're confused about life in general. They don't know why they're going through the things that they're going through. Some of these people are seriously considering suicide to escape the pain, to escape the suffering. All of these people have these mental and emotional and physical needs. And they also have a very big spiritual need. They are lost and in need of Jesus Christ. And that need is immense. That need is enormous. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. That means we've got to do more than we ever thought possible. More than we ever thought we could do as individuals, as a congregation, as the church. To see that these people are cared for physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. We've got to discover what is going to alleviate their suffering. And discovering what will alleviate their suffering means that we have to get to know them. We have to build relationships with them. And there are some that we, through our own power, would find it impossible to build a relationship with. That's why Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. So that we could have strength beyond measure so that we could act not the way that we would act, but the way that Jesus Christ would act towards these people that we hate. These people that we despise. These people that we mock online. These people that we wouldn't give a second's thought about. They need Jesus too. We're all traveling this same road. We're going to encounter the same people. Are we going to be the priest and the Levite? Seeing somebody suffering on the other side of the road and passing by, not giving them the time of day? Or are we going to be Samaritan walking directly to them? seeing their pain, seeing their need, and having compassion. That is what Jesus Christ has called us to. Who was a neighbor to this man? The one who had compassion. You go and do likewise.
I go and do likewise. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that we've been able to gather here this morning for a little bit of time to worship you, to sing songs of praise, to hear prayer requests for people in our church community who are suffering. But Father, we know that is not nearly enough. <clears throat> Father, help us to see church, help us to see congregating together as just a way to receive training, just a way to receive encouragement, just a way to receive more of the Holy Spirit's strength so that we can go and do in our community to the people that we don't know, to the people that we encounter on a daily basis who are hurting, who are in desperate need physically, mentally, emotionally, and most of all, in desperate need of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, open our eyes, open our hearts to that need, and open our hearts to be compassionate. Open our hearts to say, I will help, and it doesn't matter who the person is. Open our minds, open our hearts, open our lives to build relationships with people. To make sure that they're being taken care of. Father, give us compassion. Let us love you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, and with all our mind. And give us the strength and the resources to love our neighbors as ourselves. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my Father, take the inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And they will answer him and they will say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or naked or sick or in prison? And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, whoever you have done this for. You have done it to me. We are called to clothe. We are called to feed. We are called to heal. And we are called to comfort. That is what inherits the kingdom of heaven. Let us go and do likewise. God bless you this week.